0: to the RTI time machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste, and the destination, the 19th century. More than a century ago, it was said that Taiwan had three treasures. These three products were sent round the world in ships to far-off markets, bringing home wealth in return. But two of these treasures, camphor and sugar, have long since dropped off the map. And now it's only the third, tea, that's still a true Taiwanese treasure today. Tea growing is still a major livelihood here in rural Pinglin, a place of misty tea plantations well over the mountains from the noise of Taipei. Here at the Pinglin Tea Museum, a new exhibit is tracing tea's long career in Taiwan, celebrating the rise of a product that made this island a household name. Through old photos and artifacts, it unpeels the layers of Taiwan's history and shows how tea has remained a big business for many generations. Today, we're following the museum back 150 years to trace the course of Taiwanese tea from shoddy local product to collector's item. Looking back, the idea of Taiwan as a tea producer doesn't seem especially likely. Dutch records from 1645 and a Chinese record from 1717 both note wild tea in Taiwan. But picking it was difficult. No one here knew how to prepare it, and not many people seemed to be drinking it either. Around 1800, a Chinese immigrant called Ke Chao brought seedlings with him from the mountainous interior of southeast China. And these took straight away to Northern Taiwan's rainy climate. But this tea was something people drank on their own, and growing it was a side job at best. Even if it had been any good, there were obstacles to selling it from the beginning. As tea production grew during the 1830s, for instance, the imperial government forbade direct trade between Taiwan and foreign nations. It would have to be shipped to mainland ports for processing. But there, it would be slapped with an import tax, so it couldn't compete. After the Second Opium War, though, the foreigners barged their way into Taiwan, forcing Taiwanese ports open to trade and prompting a search for profits. A British consul stationed to northern Taiwan after the war noticed that the local tea had potential. John Dodd was a British merchant who came to agree with this assessment. In 1865, he formed a highly successful partnership with Chinese businessman Li Chunsheng. At first, the low price of tea meant that just convincing local farmers to grow the stuff was a challenge. But the merchants' assistance, loans, and promises to buy the crop won the farmers over. Their first crops got good reviews, and in 1869, they sent tons of carefully selected Taiwan oolong to New York. The price shot up after that. Other merchants joined in the fray, and the tea production center these merchants created, now the Taipei neighborhood of Dadaocheng, swelled in size. By the end of the 19th century, it would become Taiwan's second largest city. Oolong tea was shipped in huge quantities to the U.S., where it found an appreciative audience. But it wasn't the only kind of tea around. Scented baozhong tea developed after unscrupulous merchants put so much filler in their oolong that it couldn't be sold. In the end, they had to scent the tea with the fragrance from flowers in order to salvage it. This style of tea became hugely popular in Southeast Asia, and its production spread to Taiwan. With both oolong and baozhong tea in high demand, the Taipei area close to the tea plantations came to support an army of tea workers. There were tea technicians, tea processors, flower growers, flower hawkers, tea sorters, tea porters, tea agents, and at the top of it all, a few wealthy head merchants. Some have their life stories written on the wall here. These include Lin Wei-Yuan, a businessman extraordinaire whose jobs included running Taiwan's biggest tea firm. The profits from his various businesses made him Taiwan's richest man. To be sure, not all of Taiwan's tea was high quality. Northern Taiwan trade reports from the 1870s note that some of the tea was just plain below par. It was over-roasted, under-roasted, had too many stems, and all sorts of filler. But merchants like John Dodd, Li Chunsheng, and Lin Wei Yuan made their names and amassed money. 1895 was the start of a second chapter for Taiwanese tea. Japan and Imperial China fought a war and Japan walked away with Taiwan as its prize. Japanese authorities also saw potential in Taiwan's tea, and they brought a modern, scientific approach to growing it in their new colony. New strains were bred, cultivation was improved, and better processes and machines were brought in. During the 50 years of Japanese rule, the colonial government was also proactive about marketing the tea. They organized local competitions and pushed the tea at international expos and world's fairs. Here at the museum, there are certificates and awards for Taiwanese tea. There are souvenir postcards showing major tea areas on a map and stressing Taiwan's exotic palm trees and colorful temples. Then there are the ads, paintings of young women next to the words Formosa Oolong. For Taiwan, this was also the era of a new, game-changing tea. Black tea. Experiments with black tea in the late imperial years hadn't produced the right results. But in the 1920s, it arrived for good. A Japanese researcher called Arai Kokichiro helped get the right plants from Assam in India to Taiwan's central highlands. Eventually, this Taiwanese black tea was selling well in London. Arai's timing was excellent, too. Overproduction in India, Sri Lanka, and Indonesia had driven black tea prices down. Just as growers in these areas were agreeing about cutting production, Taiwanese black tea entered the scene and made up the difference. After 1934, Taiwan was exporting more black tea than either of its old hits, Oolong or baozhong. And with tea now making up 29% of Taiwan's exports, that was a lot of black tea being sold. With all the money his work would bring in, it's no wonder that villagers near Arai's tea research station in central Taiwan still regard the man as a kind of guardian spirit of a nearby mountain. But within a few years, Taiwan, as a Japanese colony, would be dragged into World War II. Shipping was blocked, laborers left for the front, and tea plantations either lay abandoned or were given over to food crops. The end of the war, and the end of Japanese rule that came with it, ended a second chapter for Taiwanese tea. The third chapter has had its ups and downs. After a rough start, things started looking up for a while. The new Republic of China government made it easier for farmers to get land, and tea experts from mainland China introduced varieties of green tea that had never been produced in Taiwan before. Long centered in northern Taiwan, tea production now spread south and deep into the mountains, amid the belief that higher altitude oolong was better. But the conditions weren't there for the huge exports of the past. In the 1970s, there was a trend for tea houses with a nostalgic, old fashioned atmosphere. But as these tea houses were opening, Taiwan was industrializing rapidly. People left rural areas, and therefore, tea. Fewer people, and rising wages, also meant that Taiwanese tea wasn't competitive. The nail in the coffin came in 1985, with the decision to allow imports of tea. Since then, imports have surged. But local tea has adapted. Competitions have raised its standards, and rigid controls on how tea is made have been dropped, allowing farmers to be adaptable too. The result has been award-winning teas that have fetched higher and higher sums, and that might even sell out within seconds of coming on the market. These limited edition teas are almost like collector's items. And of course, domestically, local tea brewed the old-fashioned way still has its loyal fans among ordinary people. They're still drinking the oolongs, baojongs, black teas, and other new types of tea, enjoying what's become almost like a wine map of local character. And they still come to tea towns just like Pinglin here to try a cup of Taiwanese history. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time.